Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. As we jump into that today, here's what I want to do first today is set a foundation for why we would take on a task like this. And then I'm going to come over to my trusty blackboard and just lay out the plan for you and what this exactly looks like. March 9th, 1974, a 52-year-old Japanese lieutenant named Lieutenant Hiro Onodo came out of the jungle on a remote Philippine island. He came into a small clearing and he handed over his sword to ceremoniously let loose of his duties as a lieutenant in the Japanese army. And he was formally dismissed from his military assignment March 9th, 1974. As he came out of the jungle, he had a perfectly working rifle, 500 rounds of ammunition, and several hand grenades that he also handed over. Now, this doesn't sound extraordinary until you understand that he, because remember this happened in 1974, that he was dropped off on that island in 1945. And given the task by his command officer to remain on this island and disrupt any enemy activities, that would be us, on that island to remain there until he was relieved of his duty. 29 years later, he comes out of the jungle. Now, there have been many attempts over the years to get him out of this jungle, but he refused to come out until his commanded officer that gave him the orders came to formally dismiss him because he was afraid it was a trap. 29 years, he lives on that island fighting guerrilla warfare, whoever was there. Out of this commission from his commander to stay there until he was dismissed. And this sounds crazy, but his case was not the only one. As a matter of fact, that same year, another Japanese soldier came off of a different island in the same manner. When World War II ended in the 1940s, uh, over the next 10 to 20 years, there were many accounts of Japanese soldiers, sometimes whole units, six, seven, ten years later, finally laying down their arms to come out. Now, why would a soldier dropped off in his early 20s, stay on an island fighting until his mid-50s. It comes out of this understanding that was part of the Japanese culture, their value system. And this value system expected total sacrifice. That is why, if you've ever studied World War II, why Japanese soldiers rarely surrendered. They would fight to the death, would rather fight to the death, then surrender because their mindset, the value system of their culture, what they heard from the time they were little until they were older was you give everything you have for your country, everything, and you do so gladly. As a matter of fact, this, this man on the screen, Hiro Onodo, when he left as a young 20-year-old to join the army, his mom gave him a dagger, which he had on when he came out of the woods and said, this dagger is for you to kill yourself if you're about to be captured. You imagine that, guys? Your mom kisses you to war. Okay, have a good. By the way, here's a knife to kill yourself. 
total sacrifice. That was the mindset. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because as wrestling through this scripture and, and, and what we're going to be today and even what we're going to talk about, this idea of total sacrifice, this mindset that says my purpose on life is bigger than myself is something that I believe is the message of the Bible. Like there are two ways to look at scripture and look at the, the thrust of scripture. And I'll tell you, some of you aren't going to like this at the beginning. The first way to look at scripture is a man-centered viewpoint of scripture, and that is to look through the lens as you read scripture to say that God is primarily for us people. That God's number one motivation is his love for people, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That God's love for people is his primary attribute. That's a man-centered approach to Scripture, and here's what I would tell you, it's wrong. See, the Bible is God-centered. And here's what the Bible teaches, that everything God does on earth is first and foremost for His glory and His name, not yours. Now, does God love you? Yes. But God's primary motivation in what He does throughout history and even today, is not you. It's not me. That is a man-centered view of the Bible, of God. See, God is God-centered. Everything God does is first and foremost for his glory. God's ultimate goal is to magnify his glory. Now, you can get on Instagram and listen to a lot of preachers that are really cool and everyone stands up in class and they talk. That's not their message. Their message is God's for you and what you want to do. But that's anti-gospel. God is for his glory. The message of the Bible is the greatness of God, not the greatness of man. God's plan, not your plan. God's agenda, not your destiny. See, God's design is that your life and my life would be lived with one purpose, his glory. His desire for you is that you give everything, your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, you pour it all out in life and even in death for one purpose, and that purpose is the magnification of his glory and his name among the earth. That's his plan for you. You are created for far more than to be a nice person who doesn't cuss. Far more. God's plan for you is the magnification of his name. Now, some of you aren't liking this yet. Stay with me. But the Bible teaches that God is God-centered. I'm going to read out three verses. I could pick out 33. I want you to Google for my name's sake or for the sake of my name and see how many verses pop up. Let me pick three. This is Isaiah, Old Testament. God's saying why he did not cut Israel off when, when they rebelled. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Did you hear that? Not, Israel, because I love you so much, and you're so valuable to me, and I could not do this thing without you, and I'm lonely, and I need you to, no. For the sake of my name. Verse 11, for my own sake, I do it. 
For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give another. Here's what God tells Israel. Hey, the reason I have not given up on you has nothing to do with you. It has to do with me because I made a covenant to you that I would sustain you and Jesus the Messiah would come from you and I will not allow my name to be profaned. It is for my sake, not yours. Psalm 106, I mean, a different one. This talking about Egypt and Israel's rebellion in Egypt when, they, when God brought them out. The psalmist is writing, he says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. He's talking to God. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but they rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Yet, God, he saved them. Why? For his name's sake that he might make known his power. God leads Israel through the sea, splits everything. They rebel. He saves them. He stays with them. Why? Because they were just great people that he loved so much? No, for the sake of his name. Let's go New Testament. Paul in Romans writing this, talking about the same account of Israel being led out of Egypt. He says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, this is the leader of Egypt, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. Why did God raise up Pharaoh to power? So that Pharaoh would resist God, enslave Israel, not let them go, finally let them go, change his mind, come chase them down to where then God splits the sea, Pharaoh's army gets wiped out, God's power is made known. That's why God raised up Pharaoh. Bible is God-centered, not man-centered. The overwhelming message. Remember, you don't, some of you aren't liking me right now. Google it, for your name's sake. We have to make sure we're worshiping the God of the Bible, not the God of our making. God created us for his glory. We would give our lives for his glory, and he invites us into that plan of making his name great. It's how he's operated for generations and generations. It's the foundation of the earth. Everything God does is for his glory, for his name. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, the scripture Brad read, he carries on this same narrative. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, that race that is set before us is your lives living for God's purposes, God's glory. Now, as you read that verse, what's the first, what's the first word in that verse? What is it? Come on, help me. Therefore, when you read therefore, here's what you have to ask yourself. Why is it therefore? What happens before this? For 11 chapters in the book of Hebrews, the writer has laid a foundation. And the main thrust of the book of Hebrews is this. Jesus is better. And, and the writer, he's writing to Jewish believers. He's like, listen, Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than David. Jesus is better than your sacrificial system. Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than angels. Like his whole point of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. He gets to verse or chapter 12 and he says, therefore, because Jesus is better, run a race with endurance. 
that is set before you. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is telling him. Jesus is better than your life lived for yourself. And the writer of Hebrews, his words carry on, and here we are. And the message this morning out of this passage is that God's desire for you and I is that we would live with this all-consuming passion for his glory. That that would be the thrust of our life. When we say glory or glorify, here's what glorify means, to make much of. So, so when we say glorify, let's not think like singing worship. Raise your hands. Like, sure, that's, we, we glorify God. But to glorify is to make much of something. Here's, you glorify what you delight in. That's what, you, you glorify what you delight. So we have a lot of young, lot of young girls this morning, and you, you delight in your boyfriend. At least while he's your boyfriend, then you don't like him anymore, and you get a new one, and you delight in him. Therefore, glorifying him. That's what happens. Last night, I cooked a perfectly cooked ribeye steak on my big green egg, and I delighted. Some of you delight in Patrick Mahomes, right? Whatever we delight in, we glorify. God's goal for your life is that you would, by the way you live, live in a way that Jesus is your greatest affection, the object of your greatest affection, that you would magnify delight in him. That's what it means to glorify God. That no matter what is happening around you, what circumstance, whether good or bad, you can say, my hope is in the Lord and he is good. As we do that, as we live that, we glorify God. Now, again, this is hard because the, the Christian culture what we see in videos, it like doesn't talk about this. It's all about you and God's plan for you and your destiny in life and all that crap. Like, it's not the Bible. Here's some of what you were saying, though. Wait a second. Like, does this, doesn't this make God like an egomaniac? Anyone thinking that? Like, if I stood up here and say, hey, point of Hill City Church is me. <laughs> It's my glory, make my name, wherever you go, talk, make my name great. You would say, Hood's an idiot, right? I'm out of here, right? You may say that anyway, but you definitely say it now. Like there's something about us that just hates it when people are just like, look how great I am. It just, ugh, right? Sports is a perfect example. Muhammad Ali, I'm not the greatest, I'm the double greatest. Not only do I knock him out, but I pick the round in which I do it. I mean, how... It's like, like we read that and it's like, dude, get over yourself. Like anyone else that just like, oh, twist your stomach a little bit? How about this? Floyd Metherwaiter, yep, I'm better than Muhammad Ali. There's always someone better. Sugar Ray Robinson, yep, I'm better than Sugar Ray Robinson. I would never say there's anyone, any other fighter better than me. One soccer player who I'd never heard of, but apparently he's really famous, Ronaldo. <laughs> God sent me to the earth to show people how to play football, which I have a lot of pro problem with this statement because football is a totally different sport than what he's talking about. <laughs> like we read that and that just like turns our stomach. This does me. Here's a question. How does God get away with that? How, how is God saying everything is for my glory, for the sake of my name? How is that not the same thing? 
Here's why. Because when any of these people say that, or when, if I would say that, here's the problem. As great as I may think I am, there is always someone greater. Namely, Jesus. So if I stood on the stage and say, hey, I'm the greatest, make my name great, the flaw in that is my name only goes so far, and it's not very far, and there is someone greater. So if I point you to myself, I am setting you up for failure because there is someone greater than me. Now, God, knowing that he is the top, he is the source of all power and, and the source of joy, where else should he point us? To you? No, to him. God knows that he is the top. He is the one that is all glorious. The most loving thing God can do is point you to his glory. God's single purpose for your life is to make much of him, your life, for his glory. And the writer of Hebrews says, with this mindset, this race of living this life for God's glory, let us run with endurance this race. Like, here's what the writer of Hebrews wants for you. He wants you to find a Jesus-focused, spirit-filled passion for your life and run towards it and give everything you have towards an ultimate sacrifice. That's what he wants for you. He's been 11 chapters trying to set this up for this final thrust of this is exactly what I want for your life. One race in which you have, your life is like a vapor, it's this little quick thing, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow, but while you have it, run everything you have with one purpose in your life, the glory of God. The thrust of your life becomes how do I make Jesus famous? That's what God has for you. Now, here's another question some of you are asking. It's a question I wrestled with. All right, Daniel, you're saying that God's purpose for me is not my own life, and not me is the focus, but God is the focus, and living with this passion of everything I do for his glory. Yes, that's what I'm saying. But then what you think, that's what I thought, is there's this other side over here, and that is, man, I want to live a good life. Anyone else? I want to enjoy life. I want to laugh with my friends, enjoy my family, watch my grandkids run around one day, the Lord's willing and gives me that long, spoiled and send them back with their parents. I want that. And for years, I thought that these two were opposite. They were opposed to one another. I had to make a choice living for God's glory, or this life of deep joy. So here's the trick of the whole thing. Not the trick, God's design. God's glory and your joy are the same thing. They're the exact same thing. That your pursuit of your joy, living a life that's full is the same thing as living for God's glory. Now, notice I said joy, not happiness. I live my life for my happiness. Happiness is a momentary thing. That's opposed to God's plan for his, like, here's the reality. My wife was here at first gathering. I, I said this, I, we've talked about before. If I was living 
and she was living for our happiness, we would not be married after 18 years. Now, we love each other. We have a great marriage. That's not what I mean. But there's been times throughout our marriage that we were not happy. And it was hard, and I didn't want to go forward. And same thing for she woke like look across, like, really, I married this? Like, those days are there. Married people, we here? Amen? Because all the people in here are like, oh, baby, not us. No, we're in love. <laughs> like, it's important they hear this. Married folks, are you here? Yeah. All right. Your joy and God's glory are the same thing. They're intertwined. See, many people, they th think these are different roads, but they're actually the same road. God's, the way God created is our pursuit of what's deep and meaningful and everlasting and, and joyful is the same as living a life for his glory. God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. He knows he is the source of all joy, and so his invitation is live towards that. Live towards what's all joy. And I'm telling you, when I, when I was your guys' age down front, like I wrestled with this, and I saw these two as opposite, and kind of my worldview, because I grew up in the country, like I wanted to hunt and fish. That was what I lived for. And every single weekend, like as much as I could, my goal was to fish, to hunt. There was the only month out of the year I couldn't do that. It was February because it's so darn cold. Every other year, there was, every month of the year, there's something to do. And as, I, as God started wrestling with me, I saw these two as different. He called me into ministry. You know what my, why I said no for a while? I didn't want to give up my freedom. And as I started saying no and started stepping into, and I'm not perfect at it, stepping into what God has for me, guys, listen, I would never go back there. Never. There is a joy that I found, Emily and I found together in stepping into what God has for us and his ministry that I would never trade. It's been a heavy few, few weeks, a lot going on here, preparing for this. Friday, I had a day off, weather was beautiful. Took a kayak out, went fishing for three or four hours. It was this beautiful thing because it was a rest, it was a break, it was just being but it wasn't what I was living for. And after a few hours, I'm like, all right, let's get back after it. Your joy and living a life for God's glory are the same road. And when you're living with that purpose in your mind, God's glory, nothing can steal your joy. Now, happiness, sure. Nothing can steal your joy. Here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. Through honor, through dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposter yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying and behold we live. He's surprised, he thought he would die a long time ago. As punished yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Here's what Paul says, and guys you gotta understand, he lived a life that was hard. Like a bad day for me is I get a bill in the mail. A bad day for him, he gets taken outside the city and stoned not that type of stone, with rocks to the edge of his life. Like that's a bad day for Paul. Here's what he says, in spite of all of that, possessing everything. Possessing everything, why? Because God, or Paul knew that living a life for God's glory, which he was on a mission to do, and his joy were intertwined, and he found it even in the midst of suffering. 
Romans 8, 28. You all know part of this verse and you love the t-shirt of part of this verse because you've got to do the whole thing. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Okay, let's put that on the t-shirt. Good, because I want a, a new car and I love God and that's going to work for good. And my business, I'm going to start. God's going to bless that. No. Maybe. That's not what that's talking about. Let's finish it. All things work together for good for those who are called, in, called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? That you might make much of him. Now, all things work together for good. See how that little shift happens? If we look through with a man-centered, oh, all things work together for good. Hallelujah. Who are called according to his purpose. So the writer of Hebrews says to these believers, He's unpacked this theology for 11 chapters. Keep going. Keep running this race with endurance. This race, this goal of living your life for God's glory. Keep going. God's will for you is that you would live a life with your primary focus being his glory. In the midst, you would find your joy right alongside. It's one thing. Now, this is an individual call. This is also a corporate call. Now we have us together. Because the Christian life is not just you and Jesus, it's you and us and Jesus. We're together in this. We really hold um, the church high here. Like, I hope you don't just come to Hill City and attend every once in a while and go home. Like, we're in this together. And God calls us to this together. And so what I want to do here is step out of this book of this Pastor Hebrews real quick, kind of let you know the journey where we are together because it's going to fit in this whole thing of, of God's plan, this journey that he has for us. But let me kind of unpack where we've been and where we are. I'm going to use the, the board to do it. So we launched Hill City Church just over three years ago. And we had one goal in starting it, that the gospel, that this Hill City, play, Hill City Church would be a place where we are primarily about the gospel, that Jesus did everything for us and we receive that by grace through faith. That's been our mission from day one. And if you come to Hill City very long, you will see it. We've said things like, if the gospel's true, you have nothing to hide. And you don't. And one of the mo things I love about this church, maybe one of the things I'm most proud of is we have men and women in this church who are working through really deep things and they're bringing other people in and it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And they're learning, if the gospel's true, I don't have to hide even my ugly parts. I love it. And as we launched Hill City with this goal of keeping the gospel as the center, here's our mission statement, still is, we exist to glorify God by making disciples you see, glorify God is the very first thing because that's what we exist, to glorify God. That's our goal. Now, how do we do it? By making disciples who bring, so there's the gospel change, making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. And so as we started wrestling through, this is the conviction. If we are truly making disciples and people are truly experiencing the radical change of the gospel, then something will come out of that. Gospel restoration will start to happen in your homes, in your families, in your lives, in your workplaces, in this city, if we're doing this. Okay, and so as we started talking about this, we launched this idea of for the city, that as a church, 
What this looks like for us locally is if we are making disciples and commissioning people out into this world, that we should start to see a change in what happens in our city. There should be effect, a measured effect to it. And so we said we want to bring gospel restoration to our city. And we launched a vision of being for the city, meaning we are primarily going to work in our city through nonprofit partners, us with them, coming together to bring good, do good in the city, and bring the gospel in as part of that. We launched that vision. Now, as we started to grow at Hill City, because I think we launched Hill City with about 120, 150 people, something like that. You can see we've grown a little bit. We had a service before this. As we started to grow, we were at University Plaza. We were leasing an office in downtown Springfield. We started to feel the pains of not having a place that was our own. If you guys were with us at UP, one week we were there, one week at the Invention Center, one week at the Art Museum, one week you're here. You guys remember those days? It's exhausting. And so we started thinking about and praying about and planning for ah, a facility. A facility that would be our own, that we wouldn't get bumped out of all the time, and that we could meet on a Sunday night for a prayer gathering and not have to rent a whole big room like this again. So we started talking about that. Now, from day one, our conviction has always been that whatever facility we had one day, that it does something to help us be for the city in a tangible way. We did not want to build a building just for us. And we have, as elders, we have wrestled through that for a year, year and a half. How do we, when we finally have a facility, how does it have a dual purpose of being for the city and for Hill City? So we've been wrestling with this. Now, as we started looking for properties, someone came to us without us asking, and said, if you find a property you want in this price range, I'll buy it for you. Thank you, Teresa. Anyone else excited about that? <laughs> Holy cow, you guys awake? That doesn't happen. You know how many churches, someone comes in out of the building, hey, I'll buy something for you. Very, very rarely. Well, that happened to us. And so pretty soon after that, we found the property just east of town, old Bolivar Insulation property, and we purchased that property. Now, this whole step, like, you're going to hear these things, and it's going to be like, okay, God, we, we understand. We get you here. The property was listed for over $1 million. We got that property for $500,000. Okay? Now, <laughs> this is where it gets funny almost. So I stood on a stage back in the fall, right here actually at the Goloys because we got kicked out of University Plaza one of those weeks. And I cast vision for this for the city center and we're going to start to work towards this and we purchased a property. That next week, the folks of the Goloys came to us and they said, hey, we have an idea. What if you just start meeting here? You lease this place, on, rent this place on Sunday, our third floor which is three times the space that our old office was. You can lease it. You'll have it for your kid's space and our offices, and we can start to do this for the city vision out of there. What if we do this? So we started talking about it, and in January, or end of December, we moved here, and we love this place. 
Has the Lord not been good? I mean, I just, it's so cool to hear you all sing back here. It's just the most amazing thing ever. And this place, they are so good to us, the people that run this. Headline Productions, he works with Van, is doing lights right now, and like professional, does a good job. We have Matt back here, like he's doing stage stuff. They are so good to us, so good to us. And that's where we are. But yet there's still the limitations we feel of renting the facility. Okay, so, so to gather here together on a Sunday night to do a prayer gathering costs us a lot of extra money. We feel that. Um, go to the kids' space at 9 o'clock. Kids' workers at 9 o'clock, some of you are in here. It's full. It's really full. We're st- already starting to hit space in the 9 o'clock with kids. There's been times in this gathering where this downstairs is full and we have the upstairs. So we're already feeling the limits still of, of having a place that's not ours. Now, here's the other reality. We have a two-year lease here. At the end of two years, the Glories could very well come to us and say, hey, we, just, we need to have this available on Sundays. And then here we are again looking for a place to meet. No, we don't have anticipation of that. But as long as we're renting, that is um, always the option. So we started working towards a plan to own our own facility. So if we take this timeline out, there's this big goal, and it's a big goal. It's bigger than this board. It's about right here. Four to five million dollars, not 45, four to five million dollars is what it's going to cost us to do this. Actually, let's move that right over here. That's probably a little farther that way. Four to five million dollars is kind of the estimated, as we look at the project right now, we're starting to work with architects and all that, of what it would take for us to be sitting in our own facility, worshiping together, a city, a facility that's dual purpose for the city and for our church. That's our goal. Can you throw up the slide of that, of the for the city concept? So this is just a little bit of an example of the concept. We showed you this before. All the stuff in orange would be places for nonprofits to use throughout the week. It's something they would have. They would, they would lease from us at a very low rate. Um, all this, you have the auditorium in blue and all that. You have the kids space in the back. So like the whole idea is it's dual purpose for the city and for Hill City. It, it's a facility that does both. Helps us bless the city in a tangible way. So here's where we are. We're, as of today, launching a plan to start to get us to the end of a facility that's going to be a four to five million. Now, as the elders, and that includes about a 700-seat auditorium, kid space, training space, all of that. As the elders have worked through this and wrestled through this and talked to you all, here's what we've decided, that this is a big, <laughs> it's a big goal for us, the size of our church, but it's best done in steps. And so we're going to take this chunk of four and a half million and we're going to break it up into some steps. And step one is this. There's a property over there that has some really old buildings on it that we have to demo. If we're going to use that place, there's some of the buildings we can keep, but there's some that are just way too far gone. We're going to have to demo that, those properties, bring big cranes and wrecking balls and take it all out. That's the step that we're going to start as of today. We're going to start raising money towards that. Now, here's the cost of the demo. 
which by the way, the cost of the demo and the land is part of that four to five million. It's all big, one big thing. The cost of the demo is about $450,000. It's what it's going to cost to demolish that, the buildings on that property, um, recycle stuff, all of that. Our goal is to have all the money raised by the end of 2019. Between now and January, we want to raise the money to demo the property so that we're ready for the next step. That's the first step in our journey. Now, remember I told you like the whole time it's just like really funny uh, what God's doing. We started making plans for this. Someone approached us who's not the same person that gave the money for the property, a different person, and said, what if you just subtract 150000 from that and gave us $150,000 towards the demo? I thought it was because I'm such a good preacher, but <laughs> which leads us, if my math is right, which I'm from Kabul, there's no telling it is, all right, $300,000, that's where we are. Our goal, and we are launching today, next week we're going to give commitment cards, we'll be talking about this for the next four weeks, we're going to call us four weeks from today to give our pledges on what we'll give in 2019. Our goal with our community here is to have the money raised by the end of 2019 to demolish that facility. That includes all of us, whether you make 600000 a year or you make $60 a week. That is all of us. All of us together. We're going to start this project. Now, as we, oh, along with this, because, so here's the number one question we get asked, and I absolutely love you for it. It is not what color of carpet is going to be in the facility, What's the facility going to look like? How much money? That's not been the number one question. Here's been the number one question you guys have asked. How do we make sure we stay about the mission of making disciples and not just be about a building? I love you. I love it. And as elders, we have wrestled with that. We have chewed on that. How, what does this look like? And so this number of 300, our goal of raising $300,000 between now and January 1, that number is also going to be a different number and that is 300 of you serving in the city one time between now and January. That's what we're asking. We're asking every single one of us to do it, but we're going to measure, we're going to count, and our goal is to get to 300 serving in the city one time between now and January. And as you serve in the city, what do you do? You bring Jesus with you in the gospel, and you serve alongside, you love, you share the gospel. We're going to challenge you to do that. We're going to measure it. We believe here what, what gets measured gets managed, gets accomplished. We're going to measure it. We'll talk more about that in the next few weeks. So this is all part, this 300 is what we're doing between now and December, the end of, the end of December. And if you, have, you guys have ever seen the movie 300 with the, the guy, muscle guys like Brad and Michael and I were already working on, on our faces for that image on like what that's going to look like. Throw on a big billboard or something. Now, this is a big step for us. It's going to take all of us giving above and beyond to accomplish this. Again, we'll keep talking about this. In the meantime, we're working with architects. Now, again, our goal, start raising money. As soon as we get the money raised, we'll get trucks on that property, big cranes, and we'll start demolishing. We think it takes three to four months to demolish it. Now, what happens after that? So once we have a clear property, 
I'm just going to put clear right there. The property with ready to build. Here's what we'll do. We will stop again, just like we have this whole journey. We will pray. We will ask God, God, what's our next step? Because remember, we have this big project, four to five million to get the whole thing. Here's our prayer, that we do this and, man, the money comes in like this. And then after we're done with this, February, March, we're like, hey, let's do it again. Let's start on the big project and we just keep going. Or maybe we pause. Maybe we're just going to trust the Lord on that. I have nothing up my sleeve. Maybe as transparent as I can. We don't know kind of what the timeline is past this. We just know we got to get that thing clear before we do anything. That's the next step. Now, with the goal being singing together in a facility that we own that's used for ministry in the city. That's our, that's our big goal. Now, here's what some of you may be thinking. Why would we do all this? I mean, four to five million dollars. Why, why do that? Why not meet here? As I'm telling you, I, there's no place. That, I love this place. We talked about some of the, like, kid space, some of that sort of thing. There's even a financial incentive that I, that I want to show you here. And again, I'm going to do it with, uh, with my limited mathematics skills. Michael's in the back with a spreadsheet, and he gets cold sweats when I start talking numbers. He really does. He's just like praying, Lord, don't let him say something wrong, okay? So every number I give you, just put an asterisk beside it if you're taking notes. All right. So let's say this is a $100 bill. One Benjamin. Pretty good, huh? Oh, I forgot Benjamin. He's got some wild hair. If any of you have a $100 bill, you can look at it. And let's say this is what it cost us to have a facility for us to operate right now. So it's a little more than $100. But let's say it cost us $100 a year to meet at the Galois Theater, to lease the third floor, all of the, the costs that we have in heating and air up there, uh, people to, to manage, like personnel, like all of it. Let's say it costs us a $100 bill every year. Okay? If we have a facility and we start ra raising money towards this facility, but let's say that we only get to right here. We only get to $2 million. Like we give generously, sacrificially, Above and beyond, we do it. But we just, we just can't quite get there. And let's say we decide to take a loan for the rest. Now, let me say this, covenant members, we will not take a loan without you voting on that. We don't even know we will take a loan. We don't want to take a loan. But if we had to, okay, and we took a loan for the rest, and so now we have a facility that we, that we own, or the bank owns, that we're paying towards, but it's ours, we're making monthly payments towards that loan, and we're heating and air, the personnel, all that. Everything costs for a facility. You know how much it cost us? A $100 bill. It's the same. Except for instead of just paying rent to, to rent something that we could be kicked out of, not kicked out of, but have to go somewhere else, we're paying on something that we'll own. It's the same number. Now, God surprised us through this whole thing. Let's say that we start raising money and we do four to five million cash. We got my, my buddy Jake down here who just brings a little fact check and be like, hood, here you go, five mil, boom, dots it right there, hands it up, okay? Let's say we do that. Let's say we just raise the whole thing. We have four to five million dollars cash we can pay for a facility. 
You know what happens to our $100 bill that it takes for us to facilities, people to run it, all that? We own a building. It's reduced by 70%. I've got too many markers up here. That's what it cost us now. So yeah, there's a ministry reason, there's a space reason, but there's also a financial reason. It makes more sense for us to go down this journey. So that's where we are. That's my cards. I'm showing it all. I have nothing else to hide. We're going to start step one, 2019. Our goal is $300,000, which means if you're part of Hill City, if you're a guest, I'm not talking to you. If you're part of Hill City, we're going to challenge you to give above and beyond what you give. Some of you, we're going to challenge to start giving. Don't be part of a community that you're not going to help fund the mission of. Start giving, that we keep giving to our general offering, then we give above and beyond to get this done. That's what we're going to do. Here's what I'll tell you. It will be difficult. This is a big step for us. This will require discipline, focus. This is ambitious for us. This is probably our biggest step of faith yet as a church, which is why I chose Hebrews chapter 12. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Guys, let me tell you, that four to five million dollars, unless the Lord just totally does something crazy, that's gonna require hard work and endurance for us. It's gonna feel like a race. It's gonna feel like a marathon. And we're gonna get to about mile 18 and be like, my legs are tired. I got a side stitch. I'm not like, we're gonna feel that. And we have to know that God is working behind us, that all the deals that we are running this race with endurance. Why? For God's name in Springfield. Listen, guys, we could play it safe as Hill City Church. We could. We just meet here and do our little thing. We don't believe we're called to play it safe. Why run a race if our focus is just not losing? We're going to take the same posture we have from day one. We're going to lean forward, trusting God, taking steps. Let's start to wrap this up. Back in verse 1, uh, very beginning of chapter 12, verse 1 of Hebrews, the writer says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and let us run this race with endurance. And I haven't talked about that. What's he mean, this great cloud of witnesses? Well, if you go back to, Hebrew, or to Hebrews chapter 11, Remember, Paul's writing to these bunch of Jewish believers. Here's what he did in Hebrews chapter 11. Not Paul, we don't know who wrote, wrote Hebrews. In Hebrews 11, he lists all of the heroes of the Jewish faith. Moses, David, Noah, Abel, like all of their heroes of the generations before. He just lists the, the impact they had on God's kingdom. Now, here's the thing I love about the Bible. It's pretty honest. Some, those, some of those guys made some really dumb decisions. Some of those guys were weak at times. But through it all, God used them for his purposes, for his glory. And so Hebrews 11, he unpacks all of the heroes of the faith. And then he says, therefore, here we are. And he gives them a metaphor of running a race. And here's what he wants them to visualize. And I believe that he does this for a particular purpose. He's trying to bring in all of their senses. He wants them to picture themselves running a race, a marathon. And they're in this big stadium. And he wants them to look up and he wants them to hear the crowd as they're running. Hear the crowd cheering. As they look up in the crowd, here's the one he wants them to see. David, Abraham, Moses, 
Samuel, all these prophets of old, and he says, all of these people have run their race and they finished. And now these people, he's writing to them, he says, they are cheering you on. They're this great cloud of witnesses that are there saying, listen, don't give up. Keep going. Keep running. I know it hurts. David's like, dude, I fell down at that mile mark and I burned really bad, but get up. It's worth it. Like you have this great cloud of witnesses, he says, cheering us on. As we run our race, I believe he said that to them because their race was difficult. It was hard. Let me make, let me not try to glorify this. For you to live a life with God's glory as your single purpose will be difficult. It will be hard. It may cost you. It may cost you your life. But joy will come. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? That's what it comes down to. Hill City Church, we're going to step into this race. It may be a marathon. It may be a heck of a marathon. We're going to step into this race trusting God that he's better. Even in our nice little gathering at the Galois, he's better. Here's my challenge for you today is you will not be content living a nice, happy, moral life. You won't be content being a nice middle-class person with a nice middle-class spouse, with a nice middle-class home, and middle-class kids, and a middle-class vacation, and a middle-class retirement, to sit back in your rocking chair and grow old and die. Life is so much bigger than that. Your purpose on this earth is so much bigger than that. Don't settle for that. But the invitation from God is that you live for his glory with everything you have and you cross that finish line to hear, well done. Well done. My good and faithful servant. Now that's worth living for. Jesus is better. Let's close with communion today. Hebrews 12, 2 will get us there. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, notice that Jesus, living for God's glory and his joy, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I love how the writer, as soon as he tells us to run this race, everything, he, everything we have, he points us back, hey, remember Jesus is the hero. We run the race because Jesus ran it for us. If you're a believer today, you're acceptable to God, not based on your generosity towards this vision or how hard you work, you're acceptable to God based on Jesus finishing the race on your behalf. That's the gospel. Let's keep that the center. And now, because Jesus has finished, now let us run together. Let's pray together. Lord, may we trust you this morning. May we trust you. May we trust that your this great call that you have for our lives is a pathway to joy. May we trust you and may we step into that with everything we have, individually and then as a community. God, with this vision for our church, we're trusting you. We're going to step into this trusting you. Amen.